0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. So far, we've been taking this, uh, this series of messages, this passage called the Beatitudes, we've been taking it one verse at a time. And we've been moving verse by verse through this. And uh, our amazing feat today is that the concluding three verses of this section uh, deal with one singular subject. And we're going to take a look at verses 10 through 12, all three of those verses here today in this message. So uh, we're going to conclude our series today with taking a look at three verses at one time. And uh, so that's exciting for me uh, because I usually can't get that far in a single text in the course of a service but anyway look with me if you will jesus words matthew chapter 5 beginning in verse 10 and it says this blessed are those who are persecuted Woo! right i mean that got you fired up right there from the beginning i'm going to tell you it's been something just to hear the words of christ resonate about the blessing that we can anticipate in our lives if we will take on the nature of christ in certain ways and we allow the spirit of the lord to rule in us regarding certain dynamics of our spiritual walk and the blessings that he has pronounced on that as we said before, they are so countercultural and even counterintuitive in many instances as to who we are as human beings, but we look forward with expectant faith to the blessing that Jesus has promised. Amen? So here we are, and we're, ha- we're finding Jesus. He's pronouncing blessing upon persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And in this passage of scripture, uh, we're going to do this a little different. We're actually going to take it by subject matter today as we're moving through these three verses. And we're going to begin here with Jesus' pronouncement of blessing on persecution. And we're going to talk about the types of suffering that Jesus introduces here. There are three kinds that are mentioned in these verses. Uh, number one is just kind of a blanket statement there of the things that we may endure, the types of suffering that we may, may come into our lives. And the first one he mentions is persecution. He mentions that we may be persecuted in this world. Now, if we were to take that same Greek word, translate it into the English language, we'd have a lot of options because we could translate that word as being harassed, Uh, driven away in other words we're not allowed to be apart we don't fit in Peter wrote to the church and said you are a royal priesthood a holy nation and a peculiar people in other words there shouldn't be an expectation from us that we're going to fit in with the rest of the world and sometimes that will be very evident because as we hold to our, our position in God and our Christ likeness we may find that we are pushed out How many of you, because of your stance for righteousness' sake or because of your stance in the gospel, your stance, your side with the truth of the word, you have found that you have been pushed out? You've been been set aside. So in, in this word driven, where we translate it driven away, it also carries with it a connotation of great intentionality such as the purpose with which one pursues his enemy. That's, that's pretty serious stuff there. We could also translate this word hostility or trouble. Jesus said in the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world, right? Okay. And these other types of suffering that Jesus introduces to us here, they, introduce, they give us a little more specificity in the ways that this persecution might take place. He says that people might insult us. You know, we, if we are conservative, Bible-believing Christians, if we take the Scripture at its literal interpretation, then we are labeled by this world as narrow-minded, as bigoted, as all sorts of different things just simply because we hold to and we subscribe to the truth of the Word. And it, Jesus says people may insult you. Possible other translations for that word are to revile you or to taunt you even, and you'll see that as I believe the, the end of time approaches even more. You'll see believers being taunted and uh, reviled. And then it says this. People may falsely say all kind of evil against you. What we might categorize as lies. You may be lied about, lied against specifically. And we look at this and... and, and None of these are fun positions in which to find ourselves. None of these are comfortable places to abide. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be insulted. We don't want to be lied about. But Jesus in this case here says to us that if we will endure these things now i'm going to give you some very specific reasons here in just a second but if we will endure these things we can expect the blessing of god we can expect to be as it's translated in some places all the happier because these things are in our lives so i want to share with you and and if i were to categorize this message today and i were to say what Uh, element of christian life will this sermon most uh speak to i would say that it would be the 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 position of maturity the maturity of the believer this is a growing word today this is a maturing word today as we look together at the words of christ saying blessed are you when you're persecuted because here's the thing jesus gives us two very specific reasons why It is advantageous or it will be beneficial for us when we are persecuted. And the first of those that Jesus says will be advantageous for us is if we are persecuted for righteousness sake. Now just to clarify religious terms here today, when we hear the word righteous it simply means a right standing before a holy God. It means that when I am living in sin, when I am allowing sin to reign in my life, when I am allowing my life to be stained and marred with sin, I am not in right standing with God. I have allowed that to separate me from God. I have allowed that iniquity to bring separation into my life and I'm no longer in right standing with God but through the finished work of calvary and through the blood of jesus christ being applied to my life i am then made righteous in christ through faith and now i can stand before a holy god we can entertain his presence as we have in this place today because we don't have sin in our lives because the sin in our lives has been dealt with on the cross righteousness simply defined as i said is right standing with god so to paraphrase what jesus is saying here is you are blessed when you're persecuted for forsaking immoral and sinful things and you regard right standing with god at a higher value than those other things when you're willing to stand before a very unrighteous and immoral world and say no 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 i don't swing that way because I regard my relationship and my position as righteous before God higher than those things. And you only have to do that for so long before you're going to draw fire. It's going to irritate and it's going to upset some people around you. And I'll get to why as we conclude this message today. But for the time... I just want to move forward here and say, you know, what makes us out of right standing with God? We've already covered it here, the simple answer. The simple answer is this, it's sin. It's allowing sin to reign in our lives because in as much as we are allowing sin to reign in our lives, we're allowing degrees of separation with our Lord because light and dark cannot occupy the same space if we were to turn out all of the lights in this room right now it would be filled with dark it would be overcome with darkness but to the degree that we let the light shine the darkness is driven out because light and dark cannot occupy the same spot and as we remove ourselves from the light of god's truth and we begin to walk in darkness we are availing degrees of separation between ourselves and god we're allowing that in our lives there will come times in your life however when you are tempted and even pressured to sin to condone sin to support sinful actions and even to participate in things against which the Holy Spirit has convicted you and Jesus says you will be blessed when you're willing to abstain from these things with the help of the Holy Spirit in order to say my relationship with God and my position in Christ as righteous before God is far more to be valued than to offer it on the world's altar of convenience and pleasure and popularity. I don't care if you don't like me. It's not an arrogant statement. It's not one that I've got to shove in everybody's face, but the truth still remains. I've got to care more about what God thinks of me than I do what everybody else thinks of me. Now, Jesus says that the second reason that we may validly undergo persecution is because of him. Paul wrote to the, Romans church, uh, the Roman church in Romans 1:16 and said this, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. He said, look, I'm not, I'm not timid in my proclamation. I'm not ashamed to tell you where I stand. I'm not haughty in this. I'm not flaunting this before you. I'm not trying to antagonize you with it, but I'm just simply stating to you, I will not be ashamed of my Savior. I will not be ashamed of his gospel. I'll be happy to tell anybody who wants to know that Jesus Christ was God incarnate, that he came and he suffered as a man and he bled and he died to give his life a ransom for my sin and I'm no longer my own but I've been bought with a price and therefore I don't live for myself but I live for him and I'm happy to let you know. We live... And we may be persecuted because of him. John writes to the church. We find two different writings of John in the Bible. Actually, we find three uh, if you want to categorize it that way. Uh, Number one, we find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That is John's gospel. And he writes a historical account of the life and the work of Jesus Christ here on this earth. It is his representation of the gospel message. Number two, we find John's epistles to the church which are 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. You find those way back in the back of the New Testament. If you back out, it's Revelation, Jude, and then 3rd, 2nd, 1st John. And you'll find those there. Those are letters that John wrote to the church the same way that Paul wrote to the Ephesians and the Galatians and and all those other letters that he wrote. John writes to the church as well. And as John's writing to the church here in 1st John 3.13, he says this, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. There again, I want to come back to that in just a minute and correlate it to something else, but hang on to that spot with me. Where do you think John first learned this principle? In John's gospel, back in the 15th chapter of John's gospel, the editors, understand when I say the editors, when John wrote his gospel, he didn't write chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, verse 3. That's something that man has added in for a reference point. The word is still the same, but so that you and I can say 1 John 4, 7, and 8. Beloved, let us love one another. You know, and we know where to go and find that. But the editors of John's, guy, as they were moving through John's gospel, they designated eight verses out of John's recollection of Jesus' words on this matter. And he says right there in the middle of it all, he quotes Jesus as saying, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. The servant is not greater than his master. Understand that. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Say, Pastor, why are we laboring these points here this morning as to why what is and what is not a legitimate source that welcomes persecution or brings about persecution in our lives? I'm saying this because I believe this is an area where believers need to exercise a real measure of self-awareness and self-assessment. And the reason that I say this is because I've seen this principle applied so many times out of context and believers will lay claim to the blessing that Jesus promises when in fact their claim to that blessing is invalid That's why I said this is going to be a growing message today. Because sometimes when the world comes against us, how many of you know that this world is full of schism, this world is full of division, this world is full of meanness and and all kinds of other things? And it's not a real big deal that somebody comes against you. Somebody can come against you because you cut them off in traffic. You can be persecuted for looking at somebody the wrong way or having a difference of opinion. It doesn't necessarily have to fit the category of for righteousness sake or because of Christ, even if we're Christians. So that's why I say, when it comes to this measure, this matter here, we really need to take some real steps of self-assessment and maybe we need to back away from situations sometimes in which we are being persecuted or people are coming against us and we need to ask ourselves some questions. Like, are we lacking in tact in our interaction with other people? Here's a big one you're not ready for it I can tell you know if I'm dealing with someone and and they get flustered with me and come back at me and I'm like oh god I mean, I don't understand this persecution." I've got to walk away from that and say you know what was I being obnoxious I know none of you have ever seen anybody flaunt their Christianity in any kind of way on social media or any other thing, but sometimes we've just got to back away and ask the real question, you know, was I being obnoxious there? Have I behaved foolishly? Are we being mean? That can happen too. We need to be sure, here's what I'm stressing to you today, we need to be sure that it truly is the Jesus in us that's being ridiculed or our unapologetic stance on the side of righteousness that is causing persecution in our lives and not our own abrasiveness, our own self-righteous attitudes or our approach as we interact with other people. That's a good place to say amen, pastor. See, one of the things that we like to do as believers is we like to tie peripheral things to our Christianity and use the authority of our Christian status to try to make our opinion stick someplace where really our Christianity doesn't have anything to do with it. And then when somebody comes against us, we adopt a martyr's complex And we say, well, I don't understand why I'm going through it. I can tell you why you're going through it. Okay? The simple answer would be, you know, don't be a jerk. I mean, just to put it in layman's terms, sometimes, and I've seen this so many times, people will do things and people come against them and they... Listen, I understand that society is not as kind to Christianity and as accepting of Christians as it once was. I understand that. Here's good news for you today. As we see the end of times approaching, it's going to get worse. It's going to increase. And we need to be sure as believers that we're fighting the right battles. Because here's what happens. Many times people will tie their Christianity to the divisive, the distracting, and the argumentative narratives that the adversary has loosed in this world. Can I... If you will listen to 24 hours straight of a news cycle, you will be so fired up and ready to argue that you won't know, you'll be blinded by everything else. And, and many people will take that and they'll tie themselves to that divisive and destructive and argumentative narrative that the enemy is loose in this world and on the authority of their Christian status they become very judgmental, very dogmatic and at times it's almost like they're out there trying to draw fire. And they're almost begging for somebody to disagree with them or call them a name and when somebody finally snaps at them they follow up with a statement that closely resembles our text today and they say, well the Bible says... The Bible says that we'll be persecuted, that people will revile us, that people will speak all manner of evil against us falsely. And well, I guess the windows of heaven are just about to open up over my life and rain down God's blessing because I'm being persecuted. And they pat themselves on the back and they want everybody else to do the same because they're a super Christian. Listen, there's no reward for being obnoxious. I'm sorry. It's, It's because, for righteousness' sake, and because of Christ. And you, and you say to me, well you say, I, I, do, I do believe there are a lot of times that, that Christians will bless themselves for being persecuted. When the chastisement or the insult they receive are a consequence of their actions. And, and not a result of their Christ likeness. I want to say that again. I do believe there are a lot of times that Christians will bless themselves for being persecuted when the chastisement or the insults they receive are the consequences of their actions and not the result of their Christ-likeness. You see, several weeks back we went through a study and. Uh, on suffering and trials and things that come into our lives and one of the things that we really studied in that is when trials come into our lives there's a big difference between trials coming into our lives and us suffering the consequences of our actions our poor decisions, our foolishness there's, there's a huge difference and there's, there's nothing blessed about walking in the, when we get in the consequence of our actions the only, re, the only recourse there is to become repentant and say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry for the thing I've made it. If you're standing on a street corner and you're shouting at passers-by that they're going to hell and you end up persecuted, that's not for righteousness' sake. That's not because of Jesus, though that may have been your intent to share him with them. That may have been your uh, intent to share Christ, but it's because you're being overly confrontational and a good bit antagonistic. And you say, well, Pastor, my Bible says that I'm supposed to be bold. Absolutely, I don't have any problem with boldness. As a matter of fact, I encourage boldness. I I pray, you know, I'm like Paul, you know, I speak in tongues more than you all. And I pray that you would get a hold of God and that there would be a fire shut up in your bones and the Holy Spirit would come on you and you would be powerful witnesses for Him everywhere that you go with a boldness that is unquenchable. But Jesus also said this, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Do you know what the anointing of the Holy Spirit really does in our witness? It emboldens us and it does give us power. And part of that powerful dynamic is that it enables us to be able to go and share the truth of the Word of God in the most loving and undeniably Christ-like manner possible. Because Jesus said we don't have to worry about what we're going to say, the words that we're going to speak, because the Holy Spirit is going to come upon us and give us those words. And we can declare that with boldness. But I promise you, when it comes out of our lips, it's going to sound like Jesus. And maybe some people will like that. And maybe it will irritate some people. I can't help that. But it's got to look like him. It's got to sound like him. If we're being blasted and ridiculed and persecuted because we're behaving unseemly, then we don't need to justify ourselves by laying claim to this promise. We need to pray and say, Jesus, make me more like you. I want to be persecuted. If I'm persecuted, I want it to be because people see Jesus in me, not because they see some arrogant Bible thumper that thinks he's holier than everybody else. Jesus then mentions to us the reward for suffering, and there are two mentioned in this text. The exact same phrase we began with in verse 2 is mentioned here again in verse 10. We started out with, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to almost give you verbatim again what we gave you in that message there. And that is this, we see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, used interchangeably all throughout the New Testament. And I believe that there's a two-fold definition there for that word. Number one is that uh, it's used to describe a rulership. in in other words it's a place where Christ reigns where he is the Lord John the Baptist said at the coming of Jesus that the kingdom of heaven was at hand we know heaven didn't descend to earth in that moment and there was no earthly kingdom established but what he was saying is that he was expressing that the way the truth and the life was present and about to reveal himself and that men would no longer have to live under subjection of sin and darkness but rather they would be delivered to life in Christ to live under the dominion of his lordship rather than the slavery of sin so it's a realm where christ reigns number two it's a it's a i'm sorry it's a rulership where christ reigns number two it is a realm it is a place it is an actual place you'll remember jesus on the cross with the with the thief who said lord what can i do and jesus said then he said to him jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom." You know, just like we came into this church this morning. And Jesus answered him, said, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in my kingdom, in paradise. So rulership might be described as Christ in us, and we might say that a realm is us with Christ. And believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are promised heaven, the kingdom of God, as the eternal inheritance. Now, I believe, again, that in the context of this verse, both might be well applied. As we stand in righteousness, we stand up for the gospel, we are availing and positioning ourselves in a place where the kingdom of heaven fills our lives, the rule and the lordship of Christ is there, and we can walk in the victory that he's afforded. But I also believe that it positions us well for when all of this life comes to an end and all of things in this world are gone and it's all done and everything's settled, we can anticipate being with Jesus in heaven. Amen? So, then we get this. Jesus says this specifically. And he says, Great is your reward in heaven. In heaven. That's the realm. There's no mistaking about this. This... This is the realm. It's not the rulership, although we know the rulership is present. This is the realm. This promise speaks specifically of rewards in eternity. You know, Paul, this is very important because Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and said this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, if we're just suffering through the persecution and the lies and the insults and all we have is some immaterial thing in our hearts and our lives and our spirits, whatever it is that we can cling to, then then we're, of all men, most to be pitied. In other words, we're, we're sacrificing for nothing. This is how and this is the hope that Paul had and he concludes his letter to Timothy in this way. He says this in 2 Timothy 4. Nearing the close of Paul's life, he writes and he says this. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now. There is in store for me crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will award me on that day and not only to me but to all everybody say all amen how many of you are all amen that's all of us right all who have longed for his appearing let me tell you something church this life may not afford to us all the comforts, all the popularity. Being a Christian may never be the coolest thing under the sun in the estimation of the world, but we will not sacrifice one comfort. We will not endure one hardship. We will not undergo one painful situation for Christ's sake on this earth that will not be repaid manyfold in heaven. say well pastor I just don't understand like why I have to suffer why I have to be ridiculed why I have to be persecuted for being a believer I'm gonna tell you today it's just a part of the process it's just part of the process Jesus reminds us with these clothing closing words and says hey they did it to the prophets who were before you in other words, don't think it's, I'm not exempt. The prophets weren't exempt. You won't be exempt. And let, me, let me just give you the catalyst and the reason for this real quick as we close. And that's this. John, again, writing to the church in his epistle, gives us this warning. and He says these words. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is come from God, that is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. And when we hear that mentioned, of the Antichrist that is coming our ears often perk up and we look at that subject with great inquisitiveness and we want to know I mean like we've got more questions about the Antichrist than we do about Cotton Eye Joe you know how they ask about him where did he come from where did he go right that's what we want to know about the Antichrist where's he coming from Where's he going to go? Where'd he come from? Where's he going to, you know, on and on and on. We want to know this. But listen to this. And here's where we need to exercise a greater awareness. John says, And even now, that spirit is already in the world. Let me tell you something more than you need to inquire about who the antichrist will be and where he will come from is that you need to understand that his spirit is already in this world and it governs and it reigns over a world system that hates everything that is about the righteousness of god and the gospel of jesus christ and the person of jesus that is manifest in your life It is vehemently opposed to a manifestation of the life of Christ in you. In this world, you will have trouble. Be aware. Exercise great awareness because that spirit is already here. Very active. Very active. If you don't believe it, just look around you at the things that are going on in this world. Men are calling evil good and good evil. They're reviling the things of righteousness and embracing immorality and wickedness all around us. Don't you think for a minute you're going to side with God and His righteousness and be accepted in this world. Not going to happen. just stand with me all over this congregation today. Every head bowed and every eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. And I simply want to ask this question today. You're in this place and you say, Pastor, I quite honestly, I've been getting along pretty well in this life because the truth of the matter is I've never been introduced to Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Today we want to change all that. Today as you leave this room, we want you to leave a new creation in Christ Jesus. We want you to to leave delivered from the power of sin, loosed from vices and addictions and things that have bound your life for so long. We want you to leave with those inner longings of peace and joy being satisfied in your life. And if that's you and you need us to believe with you today for that, anywhere across this sanctuary,